from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Awesome. We'll get to that. So we'll try this again. Take two. <laughs> Maybe it'll work better this time. But welcome to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Perhaps welcome back. I hope welcome back. My name is Bryn. I'm Angie. Hi. Hey. And we didn't record last week because Angie had the Rona. Was scared of it. <laughs> I, I was. I, I, it's unfortunately like you can't get sick nowadays without just assuming you have the virus everyone's talking about. And it's also weird to get sick because no one ever gets sick because we don't see anyone. So I yes, I got struck down by uh, body chills and sweating out my own body weight. And it was a little stressful. And I was sure I had COVID because I had taken a sneaky trip to Toronto. <laughs> But I didn't, and I recovered, but it has made me much more vigilant about the COVID rules, that's for sure. <laughs> when the day comes when the anti-maskers get their way and we all go back to not wearing masks, everybody's just going to be, like, so sick. It's just going to be, we're all going to be laid up in bed for, like, two months with, like, the worst cold ever. Our immune systems have not been exposed, man, for sure, for sure. But on the other side of this, you've had to listen to NXS for weeks. <laughs> oh, I feel like I was born listening to NXS now. <laughs> yeah, so we tried to do a couple quick episodes together quickly, which only gave us maybe three or four days to listen to this. So we really crushed it into a small amount of time, and then I bailed because I was dead. <laughs> so you probably ignored it for a week and a half and then listened to it today to get caught up. <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little. I felt bad because not only were we listening to the album in like three days, but you got me the doc to watch and I knew you were watching it and I'm like this is a lot of homework and this is a lot of pressure and then I bailed so <laughs> apologies and I'm sorry that you've been stuck with Michael Hutchinson gang for uh, a couple days I mean a couple weeks no it, it was okay it actually gave me time to go deeper into it because any anyone that I'm either forced to or take an interest in watching a documentary on any good documentary will just turn you into somebody that listens to nothing but that artist for <laughs> a block of time because they're you're you're just so invested in them emotionally and you just want to you know now you know the stories of how the albums were made or the places they were in at the time and you're just like oh, i gotta go listen to it or they have like clips of the songs you're like hey that song sounds pretty good where, where i'm gonna go find that so i i used my my secret remedy of trying to really connect with an artist of listening to their live stuff once i really burned out we listened to kick by the way from 1987 that was angie's suggestion yes thank you for covering that <laughs> once i kind of burned out on listening to kick because i listened to it you know, I listened to it several times. Listen, uh, I can speak mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, several times over. Yeah, the three or four days, I really just like really pounded it out. That's what and then said. I watched the exactly. Thank you. I was like, <laughs> so we're not doing phrasing anymore. <laughs> I also finished watching Archer. I think in the time. Ah, that's so <laughs> oh, funny. And then Mallory Archer, the voice actress, passed away. I just feel like so much has happened since we last spoke. Oh, it was she the same person from Arrested Development? Yeah. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. R.I.P. 
Yeah. Yes. So, so much has happened since we last spoke. But, but yeah. So when I kind of got burned out on listening to Kick, I and then I watched the documentary, which I got really. I, I struggled to sort of get connected to, it, and I think it was maybe because I was just trying to do it all at once. So I kind of watched it. You know, like where you watch something, but because we have the ability to like stream or like I downloaded this movie absolutely legitimately for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can just. I, just, I found like I kept pausing it. I kept taking like commercial breaks on my phone. So oh, like a 90 minute documentary turned into like three hours on the couch. I'm an <laughs> extravagant multitasker, so I can commercial break and watch at the same time. Like I'm, I, like I always do a puzzle when I watch TV. I listen more than I watch. So if I'm flipping on the thing, I'm listening. Like that's why I'm an obsessive podcaster. I can I'm always right. listening to something. So I did it basically all at once, but I know what you're saying. I feel like I might have been a little bit more invested because I was deeply in love with Michael Hutchins before I started watching it. And then as I was watching it, it was just like feeding into it. hundred percent. But yeah, it is really different to watch a documentary about an artist because it does make you so much more invested. Yeah. Kind of personalizes it. I also right after that watched the Tina Turner documentary, and I I don't I guess I was <laughs> tired and sick and emotional, but I cried through it. I just you have to make that Costco Kleenex run. Oh my god, I just cried through the whole thing. So I watched Michael Hutchins, which was the Mystify documentary, is what we're talking about, and it was very hard to find, in my opinion. You know, the interweb and could find it in eight seconds. <laughs> but yeah, it. Well, I'm kind of glad you watched it and connected a little bit more to the band, even if it was a little bit of a tough, tough role. I'm glad I did too. I'm really glad I did because uh, it's a really good story, and I'm I love I love watching documentaries on people, especially musicians. I remember one time my son was going through my Netflix at one point, and he was like, "Dad, why is everything documentaries on your Netflix?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Cause I try to better myself, son." Um, my life is so empty. I have to live vicariously through others. So, no, Although I, mine's really... mainly murder documentaries. So that's not really making me smarter or anything. I know how to hack up a body. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. To, if you're going to write a manifesto, don't have the New York Times or whatever it was publish it. Because it's, it's, you're going to get brought down by your family members. 100%. So I really enjoyed it. And it's... We haven't watched the documentary as part of the podcast since we watched Amy. Yeah. And so it was, I don't know. I was glad that you knew about it. There's probably documentaries on some of these artists that we could be watching, you know, but I sometimes go like I did for Tears for Fears, find, go on YouTube and see what I can find there. But it was really cool. This And this was the more, more recent of, the, of two of them that I think have been made. And this one seems like it's reviewed as a better product. It's more true to their story. I think it paints his journey and the band's journey a little more honestly. I, I kind of enjoyed like it's it's really a documentary about him, not so much the band. Mm-hmm. And I think my only sort of disappointment is that his main partner in the band, um, Andrew Ferris. Um, Ferris, wasn't part of it. Yeah, the band was largely three brothers. It was a band of brothers. Which every time I read that, that was hysterical because it was a TV show. I don't know. I don't get how much. Um, One of my favorite TV shows. Oh, really? I've never seen that. I would loan it to you, but the last person I loaned it to hasn't given it back to me yet. Oh, great. Yeah. We're also very (laughs) far apart. (laughs) I have purchased Band of Brothers three times. Fascinating. 
fascinating. Uh, isn't it? A, isn't it a war sh- uh, global TV show? It's an HBO miniseries about the 501st Airborne from World War II. It came out after Saving Private Ryan. Okay, I'll watch it with my Spielberg. significant other who likes the yeah. war shit. The war shit. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's fantastic. This isn't a Band of Brothers podcast, so we won't get into it. But I, it's fantastic. I Great know. tangent. <laughs> Band of Brothers. It's three brothers. Andrew Ferris, Joe Ferris, and Tim Ferris. And then a smattering of others. Yes. Most importantly, Michael Hutchins, which is who we're talking about in terms of the documentary. Lead singer. And what a dreamboat. So, yeah, the band started in 1977, famously Australian. I, You know what this, listening to this album really made me realize is no bands have saxophone players anymore as a member. There is so much, like, rando saxophone that I adored. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I thought it was fantastic. Saxophone did make sort of an interesting comeback in the 80s. Yeah, it's it kind of enriches the music a little. You know, you think it's going one way and then, you know, that added layer kind of gets in your face. But um, yeah. yeah, so Kick was the album that really made the band. So they'd had about three or four albums before that. If they started in 1977 and what was Kick? Uh, 87? 87. So... 10 years. And that was a breakthrough, which yeah. sort of speaks to, again, differences in the music industry com- then compared to now, which is like, you, can you imagine how hard it would be as an artist these days to get signed and have little to no success for 10, 10 years, years and have, and have an, an, uh, a record company stick by you and let you develop? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, well, that's, in, that's not her. I don't think that happens anymore. I don't think so either. I think I think the early 2000s might have been the end of that. Were they signed in 1977, or is that when they just were together, like maybe in a high school band? Uh, their first single, "Simple Simon, We Are the Vegetables," was released in Australia and France in May of 1980. So we're still talking seven years. Yeah. From their first release. And they were the Ferris Brothers. Then they were the Vegetables. <laughs> and then they were <laughs> named in excess by Midnight Oil's manager. Midnight Oil is a great 80s reference. I There's that one song <laughs> that I guess everyone knows that I'm obsessed with. Well, the number one thing that I was blown away about the... I know we're going to talk about Michael for a little bit. First of all, I had a massive crush on him, which seems interesting because I don't know if I knew a lot about the band, but I loved Michael Hutchins. I knew when he passed away, I would have been in grade seven and I knew him and I was devastated. And I, uh, it's kind of interesting because he was not totally of um, our generation in terms of, of fame. But what I thought was fascinating in the documentary is that he just wanted to be in a band. Like he wasn't a singer. He was just like, oh, you're playing guitar. You're, I'll, I'll sing. Yeah. Was, Can you imagine? <laughs> it, it definitely seems, yeah, his sort of disinterest in releasing solo albums kind of really sets him apart mm. from a lot of attractive front people. Although he tried the solo thing, but it was weird. Well, they all, they all do at some point, and quite often even band members will release solo albums regardless of whether or not they're, they have the popularity 
with the public of being in the band. Mm -hmm. A lot of bands think that they're the Beatles when it comes to start releasing solo albums and they're all going to have number ones and be successful. Right. And it's just like, no, no one really cares. <laughs> I just It's cool that he's stayed with the band that long. And I just couldn't believe that someone who gets so famous for singing was just like, what part do I play in this band? Oh, the saxophone's taken? Shit. I guess I'll sing. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was not yeah. a singer. It wasn't exciting to... I mean, I mean, I guess it was exciting to him at some point, but it just kind of seemed like the last place to fill. And he's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I bet a lot of bands, the, the hardest and last spot that gets filled is the singer. Oh, I always think it's so central. I think you know I'm a lead singer, girl. <laughs> I, well, feel I am like... one that blew my voice out singing in the car. It's still not right yet. <laughs> so I feel you. <laughs> I just, yeah, I always think it's, you know, the lead singer and the guitarist, and then it kind of forms from there, which isn't to minimize everyone else. But yeah, that was shocking to me that it wasn't an intentional, uh, I want to be a singer, this is what I want to do. It just kind of yeah. felt like that. And to reach such success with something you just kind of fell into, and he has a great voice, you know? Yeah. And to, for something he didn't naturally pursue on his own, I like, wow, uh, yeah. that's just amazing. We would have missed out on on him if, you know, things went slightly differently in, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Was he your first celebrity loss? Since we're talking about losing, what's her name? Jessica Walter? Jessica Walter? Oh. Was, she, was, was Michael Hutchins your first celebrity loss? Uh, you know I have no memory. Okay. Do you remember anyone else celebrity-wise that meant as much to you as him? Because mine was John Candy. I remember my oh. dad telling me then John when John Candy died when we were probably. I remember 10. that. I remember that. Okay, that's the first major celebrity loss I remember of somebody that was alive when we were alive and died. I remember hearing about it on the radio. I remember my dad telling me about it. So maybe yours was. Okay, if it was, if, if you remember John Candy, he passed away before <laughs> Michael Hutchins did. I think I this is terrible, but I think this was the first death that I'd ever heard autoerotic asphyxiation potentially thrown around with. I didn't know what that was, and I was obviously, I hope not. I was in grade seven, for Christ's sake. Um, <laughs> we didn't really have the internet to go and answer that question. Oh, like, no, yeah. I'm going to go into the chat forum of uh, letter, letters and not pictures. I remember hearing that he died and being kind of sh shocked and a bit devastated because I, he was a, a beautiful human being. And hearing that there was rumors of autoerotic asphyxiation, which I read again today, came from Polly Yates, his partner mm. and former wife of uh, fucking Gelda. what's his nuts. Yeah, that's the one. Live Aid. But I, I mean, of course, documentaries make you see it one way and make you experience it one way, but it. When you learn, a, the most devastating part of the documentary was the brain injury. Oh my God, my God. It's really- Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about that. And I have a really stupid story where I was at work one day and I smashed my face off a bathroom stall. This was like, I was very new to the government and I shut the door and it opened quickly and I smashed my face and I literally, Anyways, I was so embarrassed. I had like a bloody nose. Like I smashed, I really hard went into it. And okay. my manager, who's a sweetheart, was like, listen, 
hitting your head is really, really serious. I know someone that like kind of hit their head and was never the same. And it kind of caught me, you know, can I not walk out of a bathroom stall properly and maybe change my life? <laughs> maybe I need a helmet all the time. But like just getting into a scrap, I think it was in France with a taxi driver and never being the same again, it really makes you think about how important your head is and your brain and to lose your sense of smell and to lose kind of your taste. And he was so about the senses and he was obsessed mm -hmm. with the book Perfume and it was all about experience. He was such a young soul. Like it was all about yeah. experiencing everything and, you know, sex, drugs, and but like beautifully, not gratuitous. Yeah, he was and, never a sloppy junkie or anything like no, that. No, he just, he loved the experience. So to have that taken away and to be a different person, that's so upsetting because you have no control over that. And it was so random too. Because this so. seems like the, from the story, as I understand it, is he was drunk in yeah Paris or Paris, I think. When are and you not drunk a, in Paris? And he was on a push bike, and he was in, on a push bike in the middle of the road or something in the middle of the night. And some taxi driver wanted to get around him, and he was sort of being belligerent. He was like, "Get out of the way!" And because he was drunk and he was famous, he was probably like, "Fuck you!" And this guy just like got out of his car and just punched him, and he hit his head on the sidewalk, and that was it. I can't tell you the amount of times I've been belligerently drunk in Europe. I mean, I can't believe I came back alive, really. It's, yeah. I, it's ter, it's, oh. And of course, you know, maybe this happens all the time, but to happen to someone who has such creativity and such art in the world, and to see them just from there go to shit a little. Yeah, it, and it seems like it might have been a bit better for him had he not been famous in that moment, because they took him to the hospital. But then he was like, I don't want to be here, and left. Yeah. And then spent five days throwing up in a hotel room until someone was like, we're taking you back. And it was at that point they realized that he had a fracture in his skull and the nerves that connect his sense of taste and smell to his brain had been severed. And they were like, sorry, it's done. It's been too long. There's nothing we can do about it now. Right. Right. And maybe had he just been some schmo that didn't have sort of, he wasn't surrounded by people who were like, I know who that is. Let, let's, you know, he, yeah. they would have been like, no, you're not leaving. Because that seemed to be like the, I forget which partner he was with at the time. This was one of his longtime girlfriends, it yeah. seems, as I recall. Yeah. And she was still like, her, even her comments in the video or the, the, the documentary were like, I have no idea why nobody forced him to stay. He'd right. obviously suffered a very bad head injury and they let him leave. They just yeah. let him walk out of the hospital. She's like, I have no idea why anybody let him leave. Yeah. And it's, maybe that's the fame thing. Yeah. Yeah. And ego for sure. I was just totally unaware of this. I'd never heard of this. And I, maybe that was what was so interesting about the documentary is it kind of seemed like not a lot of people knew about it. It was kind of secretive. And then they're like, oh, yeah, a brain injury changed his personality. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. He, seemed... was, he was never the same afterwards. He, he, he had lost this yeah his sense of taste and large or the sense of smell completely and most of his sense of taste and yeah they, and it was really well done if you're interested in watching the documentary it's really well done like they they, they don't have some of his band members and stuff which i thought was a miss uh, a loss for the the project but you know they had like when it gets to the point where he's had his injury they have neurosurgeons and 
people who actually like doctors and smart and know what they're talking about talk about like what happens to you you know if you sustain a brain injury that can affect your mood and and how it affects you mentally and emotionally as a human being to lose your sense of smell and you don't realize how much you rely on smell and it's they talk about how you know our most vivid memories are usually based around smell there are people that i can't remember their names of anymore that if their perfume walked by me on someone else i would remember that smell and can you imagine spending like and all of a sudden that's just switched off and you're like your ability to make memories and connect with people would be so affected by that regardless of his interest in like sense and and discovering the world and everything yeah. it's like a magical new day just as a human being losing your ability to, to to connect with other people on that on that level must have been devastating i i hope it's not something that anyone i care about ever has to ex- <laughs> live with it really makes you think i connect a lot of stuff to scent i'm very aware of what smells I associate with what and and I'm I love my incense and candles and I know I can smell my parents perfume if anyone's wearing it a mile away I know everyone does but I'm very very aware of it Mm -hmm. and I can't I can't imagine must have been tough but can I ask you one thing when you saw him live did you think a little bit a little bit Australian Mick Jagger just a little bit a little bit I find it interesting that so many people hold Mick Jagger up as this great, good-looking person because I've never seen it. No, not good-looking. Performer, confidence, Just, yeah, dancing, owning it. He had the swagger. Yeah. He had the moves like Jagger. I would hit Mick <laughs> Jagger. Yeah, fuck <laughs> off. Maroon Five should not be mentioned in here again. <laughs> Are we putting them in a, in the U2 category? We have to talk about U2 because he was like best friends with Bono. <laughs> So, you know, we always talk about we don't know how big a band is until, and I'm like, he's fucking schmoozing with Bono? Oh my god. Okay, I guess they were massive, you know? That's the thing that took me by surprise. I I recognize that we haven't really gotten into the album too much yet, but listening to the album, which I think maybe it's, we should take the conversation back that way a little more unless you don't want to do that i don't care i love where we're i love where we're at keep going okay all right i think again like i had no idea i came into this band you suggested it i know that i'd heard in excess but i couldn't have told you any of their songs right and i and i put the first song on which you warned me about guns in the sky shit sticks it's the worst song i've ever heard (laughs) what a terrible song to open such a powerhouse of an album i'm sorry go ahead (laughs) um for those of you listening it's very very rare that angie and i or angie and i and steven will discuss the album before we record so that we can do this and have it natural like we don't this obviously isn't scripted we don't even know what album the person's going to suggest 95 percent of the time imagine if this shit was scripted i'd be embarrassed (laughs) well i don't have that kind of time (laughs) no so if you want to start writing out stuff for me to read i'll read it but every time we read we are it's bad reminded that we're not actors can't read can't read for shit and it was and I got this text message like the day after we recorded the last episode and it was Angie saying, I'm really sorry about the first song. It's hot garbage or something like that, or just go ahead and skip it. It was just, it wasn't even like, Hey, how's your day? Or like friendly chat as we often have. It was just like, 
first song is a pile of crap. <laughs> I just was like, I got into my kitchen where I listen to my music while I cook or dick around and I put it on and it was like, what is this? No, I don't want this to be your first taste of this album. Brian, skip it immediately. <laughs> I hadn't listened to it yet, but I, I was at that point where I was like, I got to get this album on because now I'm interested. Mm. <laughs> if it's so bad that you, the person who apparently loves in excess and suggested the album is like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, I, gotta, I gotta find out what this is. It's like, it was like a car accident. Yeah. I just needed to, I needed to see it. But yes, two chords and repeating guns in the sky over and over again. Not, not the best way to start, but there were definitely songs on here. Devil Inside and I Need You Tonight. I absolutely have heard a bazillion times before on Classic Rock Radio. Um, I just didn't know that they were in excess. I'm surprised Never Tear Us Apart. I feel like that song was massive. Maybe. I don't know. I don't. It didn't really strike. It didn't really strike anything with me. And it reminded me of Bittersweet Symphony, the way it opens with the orchestra. Mm, that's a good point. I don't know. I just adore it. New Sensation was a big hit as well. I don't know why I knew Mediate because I am not sure that was big. But yeah, I definitely thought you would hear some of the songs and go, oh, like that's how I felt about Super Tramp, where it's I'd heard right. several songs and had no idea who it belonged to. <laughs> but I'm glad you recognized some of it. But overall, what did what did you think of it? I, I enjoyed it. There were little moments where I've had a lot of fun with it, where like if you start Need You Tonight and Mediate, um, they sound like the exact same song for the first 10 seconds. I was at, sitting at Renee's house on the couch and I put it on on my phone. And I just went back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, this is two different songs starting. And she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Need You Tonight floats right into Mediate that I never hear the difference because it's the end of the song floating into the beginning of the song. And then, yes, I definitely agree with you on that. And then Never Tear Us Apart, it reminded you of what song was it that it reminded you of? Um, Bittersweet Symphony. Bittersweet Symphony. It reminded me of the opening of The Show Must Go On by Queen. Oh, Show Must Go On. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but that dun 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 dun, the orchestra at the beginning. Anything of it, that opens up with an orchestra, I'm interested. I'm interested. It's like, oh, hello. Yeah, I'm here <laughs> for this. One second, let me get a seat. I really enjoyed the album. I think definitely it's not solid gold all the way through. I can definitely see why there was a bunch of singles on it and it did really well and it launched them from probably Australian success and maybe certain places in Europe to kind of global success to mm -hmm. where they were selling at Wembley Stadium and they were the biggest band in the world maybe. There's definitely some really strong songs on it and obviously once pop culture got a hold of how good looking Michael Hutchins was and charismatic, he, he was just bred, he was born to be a star. Hot damn. <laughs> I love hearing him talking about. Tell you. Uh, you don't need to tell me. He's a beautiful. I have such. I'm such a sucker for long-haired rock stars. You know me and David Asher. We go way back. Mm. That yeah, I'm blushing. So, <laughs> I I loved hearing about that he made a different persona, like a different personality to be a rock star. That's the only way he can handle it. It's like right. this is this is rock star Michael. This is me Michael, which is really interesting. He was obviously far more introverted than maybe the everyday rock star, but uh, again, very Freddie Mercury of him. Yes, quite. And maybe Bono of him too. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Bono, but I bet I don't Bono on stage. Him is not necessarily the guy that like quietly sits at home and 
thinks about how to save the planet. What a douchebag. <laughs> I mean, I know. I, I was just so... He so much shit for it, but Bob Geldof, bringing it back to another Michael Hutchins connection, doesn't get shit for trying to save the world. <laughs> Maybe I... it's because everybody really dislikes the concerts he put on. Equally don't love Bob Geldof, but I also... I feel like I actually had listened to a whole podcast on Polly Yates, not a whole podcast, but several episodes of a podcast on Polly Yates. Mm. And I was very shocked to hear Michael come into the picture. There was something about it, about Geldof, that rubbed me the wrong way. But also, what's he known for? That fucking Monday song? That's garbage. Yeah, he's he's not really known for being a musician anymore. He's known for being... Live I guess eight. a charitable ph- philanthropist and putting on Live Aid and li- Live Eight. Like, tell me why I don't like Mondays. Thanks for writing that, you genius of songwriting. <laughs> like, holy shit! I could write that in my sleep. I think uh, I think Manic Monday covered it, Bob. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Hutchins had some. I think that was sort of one of the interesting things, and that's always a good. A good documentary will always open you up to the sort of like little surprises and the connections that people have with each other. Like the fact that he was in a very long term and happy relationship with Kylie Minogue. I knew that. Like, I had no idea. You're just like nodding at me like, well, finally. Duh. (laughs) Jesus. I feel like I got so much more exposure to Kylie Minogue because I lived in England. And Brits love her and gay Brits adore her. And I, I learned a lot about Kylie when I was there, but I definitely knew the connection. But it was so cute to see it and hear her talk about it. You know that uh, he seems like such a, a sweet soul. I think it really speaks to who he was as a person that they got a couple of his long-term romantic partners to be part of the documentary. I think that really speaks to who he was as a person because if they had a really negative relationship with him, it's possible that they wouldn't want to do it. Especially someone who has the kind of global notoriety of Kylie Minogue. Yeah. You know, when you think of, I watched the Harry Nielsen documentary, which came out a few years ago, which is again, phenomenal. But one of his best friends in the entire world was Ringo Starr, who was not a part of it at all. Okay. So it's, it's sort of very telling with who they get and don't get for these sort of major documentaries where they start dragging out a lot of really personal people, family members, band members, like they get like a really good one, not just a bunch of people who sort of knew Kurt Cobain. Right. <laughs> and they kind of build a, a, a documentary around that. It's very telling that he must have been a really joyous person to be around, probably pre-accident. Yeah. Yeah. I was always super drawn to him without knowing him. And the more I learned about him, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. But I was going to say the reason why I wondered there weren't more band members openly in it is I wonder if they just had a lifetime of him being the fucking star and they were kind of like, okay. Oh, now you're doing a movie about him? This was our band. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But they were a band for a really long time. I think that's the surprising thing to me is that, you know, those guys were active from 1977 until he died in 97. Yeah. Was it 97? So like 20 years. They didn't really have a lot of lineup changes and stuff like that. And you think, and especially with what happened to him and how they talk about his personality changing and how he became violent randomly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he became a much more difficult person to be around. Um, the fact that 
you know, like they stayed a band really shows their bond as human beings. I think again, much like having his romantic partners in the documentary, I think it speaks to who they are as people that they stay together that long. Because a lot of bands don't. A lot of bands, like the Beatles, were together what maybe maybe ten years. They were only productive for eight. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Beatles, like they they were basically they were productive from like sixty two to seventy. That's it. And how interesting it was that they really tried to forge ahead after he died. That's hard. That's hard. In the same vein that Queen has that other fucking guy singing who I refuse to listen, Adam Lambert or whatever. You oh, can I was take. Like, are we not speaking of? <laughs> oh, you can take that and shove it. I'm never listening to him. I'm such. I'm such an old lady about it or a curmudgeon about it. I'm not. I'm not having it. All right. It's it's really hard for bands to move on after their lead singer dies. Allison Chains had the same problem. Yeah. I think I think their lead singer William Duvall, who's been with them now longer than Lane Staley was, he's fantastic. But it's difficult. It's difficult to connect. Not every band can do it. Not every band is ACDC where they can bounce back from losing their lead singer and yeah. become even more successful. <laughs> okay. So my but my confession on this is, I'm really embarrassed. But I own an NXS album where Michael is not the singer. And it's a That's Canadian a guy oh. from Nova Scotia. They had Rockstar NXS on t- TV, didn't they? I remember that. Yes. So they turned to reality television to keep their music career going. Oh, what do I see about Dave Navarro on here? Sorry, I'm getting <laughs> sidetracked. As was the the thing to do at the time yeah which sounds gross and hideous to me and i don't and of course lived in the country and had country cable and didn't watch it or know anything about it but knew they had released a new album and i'm really embarrassed to say i really liked it i I think that's embarrassing i'm not sure how clear it was to me at the time that it wasn't michael but i knew it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) but i'm looking at it pretty vegas i actually really liked it and when I was listening to that album I remember driving around effing Carlton Place and being like oh this is great (laughs) I'm I'm sure it didn't get like critical acclaim but I super enjoyed it at the time and I'm a little bit embarrassed about it because in the same vein I won't listen to anyone singing a Queen song that isn't Freddie I was like this guy and I went all in (laughs) Losing a lead singer is devastating for a band, and it's the hardest thing to come back from. But if you have the still the core members, and the songwriting was primarily done or largely done by someone who isn't the lead singer, it's it's I think it's easier for the band to carry on because I think that's why Allison Chains has been successful post Lane Staley passing away because Jerry Cantrell wrote most of their music. But I think Michael Hutchins wrote most of the lyrics. He, yes, but if a catchy song isn't just lyrics and melody. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a negative thing. Did you listen to any of it? Any of the more recent stuff? Yeah. No, I listened to this, and then I listened to the few live albums that they had. I listened to those in totality, okay. so I got more repertoire. But everything I listened to was Michael Hutchins era. Okay. I haven't listened to any of the post Michael Hutchins stuff. And what a wonderful performer! He did seem like he was having a good time. It's it's difficult to. Again, that's sort of why I love live stuff. Yeah. If it's good and you can see it, the energy will come through regardless of how it's you're absorbing yeah. it, whether you're in this audience or not. And I, I don't know. I think that's <laughs> live baby live. <laughs> Terrible name. 
<laughs> live baby live, live baby live. Oh, they're good. So, no, I didn't get into it. I do remember Rockstar in Excess being on the air on television, but I didn't watch any of it. But yeah, I don't know. As an album, I think it's good. Not every song is a banger, but, but it definitely has some massive hits on it. It has it, many massive hits. Yeah. Like maybe and four or five. That, that seems insane to me. That's a lot. Let's see. Singles from Kick, Need You Tonight, Devil Inside, New Sensation, Never Tear Us Apart, and Mystify. So five Yeah, yeah, for sure. For when I when I pitched this album, I thought I would know a couple, but I knew most of them. Wow. So that was cool. That's a lot to have on one album. That's a lot, That's a lot. to It's a massive album to have five successful oh, singles on it. I have are you ready for this? I'm here. Ten fascinating facts about in excess. I'm gonna go real quick. I'm gonna go real quick. Oh yeah. Quick. Hit me. I'm gonna turn down the music because it's yelling in my ear. <laughs> Number one, in excess was a band of brothers. That's for you. I don't need I to go it. into that. We've already gone into that. <laughs> Number two, Midnight Oil's manager came up with the band's name. So he was inspired by a brand of jam called IXL and the English new wave band XTC. So In Excess reads as In Excess, which I'll tell you I never put together, but I'm really slow like that. But what he wanted the band to market themselves as was inaccessible. Oh. I remember finding an inaccess album in my dad's record collection when I was a kid and thinking they were called Inks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was like, Dad, who's Inks? And he was like, <laughs> Well, you mean inaccess? I was like, I mean. <laughs> my partner was like, You're listening to this in excess and I was like what I don't even get it he's like in excess I'm like oh my god I don't know why I don't think I've ever put that together <laughs> first of all sir boo secondly <laughs> <what>? <laughs> honestly I'm sad about myself um number three in excess was also almost a Christian band oof yeah so the same manager tried to pitch them as creating songs to promote a drug and alcohol-free, no-sex-before-marriage Christian lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, Michael Hutchins is maybe the wrong guy to have that as, a, <laughs> as <it's> his brand. <laughs> these guys would later write, Devil Inside, an original sin. <laughs> Number four, they didn't go global until their third album, which we talked about already. Niall Rogers changed a lyric in the band's first number one hit. I don't know who Niall Rogers is, but um, he made it better. I guess there was a line that said, dream on white boy, dream on white girl, and he changed it to dream on black boy, dream on white girl. Okay. To reference the fact that he was in an interracial couple, so making it better. Niall Rogers has been in a lot of things, but okay, maybe good. most Go. famously Sugar Hill Gang. That doesn't mean anything to me. Hip hop, hip it, hip it to the oh hip, hip hop. Oh my god! Stop the bang, bang, yeah. Okay, okay, wow. Number six, the head of Atlantic Records thought Kick was trash. <laughs> <laughs> when it stopped playing, he said, "I'll give you a million dollars to go and record another album." This is not wow. happening. This is shit. <laughs> I love the people who said no on big things. You just, you know, you wonder if they spend their whole life being like, ah, kick. 
<laughs> Number seven, Andrew Ferris annoyed a cab driver while writing the band's biggest U.S. hit. So he got obsessed with that tasty guitar riff, as they call it. And he went into the studio for like 45 minutes and made the cab driver wait. And the song ended up being Need You Tonight. Okay. NXS's first and only number one song in America. Interesting. Number eight, there was speculation over the cause of Michael Hutchinson's death. Yes, Paula Yates, put your dirty thoughts to rest. So the woman that we were talking about earlier was Helena Christensen was the one who was with him when he had the head injury. Okay. So there was, yes, discussion about autoerotic asphyxiation and more his moods. And he was also very stressed out. There were lots of phone calls going back and forth right before he passed away. Yeah, he was hoping his daughter would come visit. She was Paula in England Yates, yeah, with, with Paula. Paula Yates and Bob Geldof. And yeah, Paula was like, no, Bob, because Bob Geldof had gotten temporary custody of them, right? Because of their, they got busted for heroin. Paula Yates ended up dying from a heroin overdose yeah, um, several years later, which I guess was why she was in the podcast I was listening to, which is about not calling women crazy. Number nine, NXS tried to carry on with several other lead singers, which we talked about. And then the album I just was referring to was the lead singer was Canadian. JD Fortune, I believe from Nova Scotia, but he was not the last singer. They had singers after. They've had several lead singers after Michael Hutchins. And this is probably the saddest fact, but I don't know why it's so sad, but for their final show, they opened for Matchbox 20. Oof. <laughs> That's yeah. definitely how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> so yes, this was in 2012. Yes, Michael Hutchins had passed away a bazillion years ago and they were with random lead singers, but final show opening for Matchbox 20 and that's when they announced the band was Sasufi. They were done. That's, I mean, if you're a Matchbox 20 fan, no judgment from me. It takes all kinds, but I think as- I like Matchbox an, 20 and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I think I think there would definitely be a band meeting if I was there. It's like, guys, we're opening up for Matchbox to like, do we really need a paycheck that badly? It just seems like how the mighty have fallen. They I would think they were a much bigger band than Matchbox 20, but I guess in 2012 they were not. No. But that's a hard turnaround. That's like you two opening for Our Lady Peace. Like what the fucking fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, Guns in the Sky just started and it's upsetting. <laughs> I was, when you were talking about how he got this guitar riff in his head and he wouldn't let it go, I was like, if she says Guns ba -na -na -na. in the Sky. All two chords of that guitar riff. Oh man. Oh my god. I was that like, is... if you, I'm just going to check out at that. I was like, you can just finish this on your own. <laughs> no. Thank you. Guys, god. just get everybody out of my way. I got to get this down. <laughs> Nah, nah, nah. This is gonna change our lives. Do do do. We're gonna open the album with this. Oh my god! <laughs> it's gonna introduce us to a whole new audience. Burning out now. Maybe it's them trying to be punk rock or something. I don't know. Let's never talk about it again. All right. Are you ready for a really quick episode of this or that '80s music? Oh my god! Listen to look at you bringing all this stuff to the show. Ah, oh, I love it. I'm here for it. Only, only I only did a couple. Okay, number one, Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics or Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. Eurythmics. Back in Black, ACDC, Africa, Toto. 
Africa. I'm so sick of, of ACDC in general. Can you not ever, I can't listen to it ever again. It's played on the radio so fucking much. I don't know. I think I live in Edmonton. ACDC is very popular here. You think, you think ACDC played a lot in Ottawa on their classic rock radio station? Holy fuck. Edmonton, it's like every other song. But it's not just big classic bands like that that are ruined by the radio. There's lots, but it is so fucking overplayed. And every time I hear Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, I'm like, can we put this song to fucking rest? Is this not about killing women? (laughs) Is this, uh, like, I, you know... There was a time, and there's lots of good things, and I, I'm, I know I don't know the whole, all the songs, but man, the ones I've heard, I'm done. We're good. Wrap it up. Yeah, I'm so played out on all of like the, the so played the out. Ten odd ACDC songs played out on it, and I like ACDC. I would go see them. I actually heard a concert of theirs from my house in Edmonton. They were here <laughs> in like 2009, 2010. They played our football stadium, and I lived in a house that was like only a couple of blocks away from it. So I heard an ACDC concert from my house. Wow. You sound, <laughs> didn't get, didn't to... <laughs> you sound like Sarah Palin. <laughs> I saw ACDC <laughs> from my house. <laughs> yes, I did. I heard them. I sort of wanted to go, mm-hmm. but it was at the football stadium, which would have been a cool experience. But it poured rain. Oh. So as I was sitting there in my bedroom listening to Back in Black from a few blocks away while it poured buckets of rain on top of what I know is an open football field. Yeah. I wasn't really that bummed about not being there. You're like, <laughs> good it, decision. So, yeah, so no, not ACDC, although I think Back in Black is probably still the one song of theirs that I do enjoy listening to yeah. on occasion. Agreed. Never Gonna Give You Up, Rick Astley, Jump For My Love, Pointer Sisters. I don't think I've heard Jump For My Love. Uh... Love actually. Real quick. Love actually, where That's... Hugh Grant is dancing. I saw that movie one thing. Oh my god, I watch it once a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas movie now, right? Yeah. Well, sorry, it's Pointer Sisters. What's the song called? Jump for my love. Okay. My love. Jump it. Okay, one sec. I'm putting it. Okay. I'm putting it on. One sec. Let's skip ahead past the classic. Oh, this song. Jumping. <laughs> I haven't heard this song as recently, and you don't secretly get you don't get rickrolled with this song. Mm-hmm. I'll say this one just because it's been so long since I've heard it. Okay. Although I saw Rick Astley a, a video of Rick Astley performing "Never Gonna Give You Up" with the Foo Fighters, and that <gasps> wow, was pretty awesome. Oh, that's interesting. That was pretty awesome. I think they did it at Wembley or something like that. They had Amani did "Never Gonna Give You Up" with them, and because they were like, we kind of realized that it basically just smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> 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 so, so you can find it on YouTube. <laughs> okay, I will definitely look that up. Dave Grohl talks about how Rick Astley is the loudest singing voice of anyone he's ever met. I can feel that. I okay, well, I definitely look that up. We'll do Rick Astley one day. Does... That's what we should do to Steven when we come back. Rick Grohl, Steven. <laughs> yeah, I don't know any other song by him. I don't think. I think he would. I think he's again one of those artists where it's okay. like, no way, this song too. Yeah, I think there's a few. I think the whole '80s. I think is two bands, and it's a hundred. <laughs> it's at least that. Don't stop believing. Journey. Should I stay or should I go? Not Clash. Clash. I saw you listening to Journey this week, and I hate that song. I love it for Family Guy. 
I was one of those people that never heard it before Family Guy, and then everybody heard it in Family Guy, and it was just everywhere. I'm so... I would rather listen to ACDC than listen to that song again. Can I just tell you I didn't put that on? I was just listening to 80s mixed <laughs> shit this week. I would have never been like, Journey! Like, I listened to 80s hits this whole yes. week. Okay. okay, last okay. one. Here we go. Eye of the Tiger or Crazy Train. This one's hard. This one's hard. If I had to listen to the studio version, uh, Eye of the Tiger. Okay. A live bootleg of Randy Rhodes on like the 1981 tour before he died when they, they really had it. He was really playing with it because he'd done it so many times and there's some really interesting performances of it. Probably Crazy Train. Okay. I can't really decide though. They're both good songs. Dan. Dan, 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 dan. Yeah. I always think of Supernatural. Did you see? Do you ever watch Supernatural? No. Okay. There's a scene where one of the guys is doing that, and it's like an after the. It's like an outtake where he's like dancing to it, and it's just. It's actually really funny. <laughs> My we made a travel playlist whenever we go places we have this one playlist and my partner chose this song and i'm like what okay this is a fascinating choice but i'm into it (laughs) it's a good one how has your week been that this ended up on the road trip (laughs) yeah what is happening i just need to like feel better about a couple things (laughs) (laughs) so that's cool you were listening to mostly 80s stuff this week last couple of weeks i guess since we haven't recorded much yeah I listen to a lot of 80s music, which is super fun to me because I don't know any of the bands and I'm, I'm trying to learn about them. But today I went, I was listening to a lot of Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Back to the well. <laughs> well, I put on the Alanis Morissette radio, which has, you know, like Cardigans and Gwen Stefani. Sure. And I was just enjoying it while I worked. So, but a lot of 80s music. And I always find it really fun to listen to because... Like I said, I haven't connected the dots completely with with everything, so it's it's fun. There's there's so much. It's such a fun decade, and it's a decade that, like we talked about last week, we sort of were raised in in, in a society that basically wanted to forget it all existed, mm-hmm. just forget about all of it. And there's just so much really good music. I haven't been listening to as much '80s the last couple of weeks. Even I think I listened to it more as a result of listening to Santa Gold. I've been like, for some reason, I'm going through this really hard and heavy Sly in the Family Stone phase. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Which has been a lot of fun. It's a lot of dancing music. And they, I, I fell in love with them because of watching the Woodstock concert VHS way back in the day. That was not the great way to experience live music, but <laughs> it's fantastic. They actually have their performance at Woodstock on Spotify, the whole thing. And just, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's really good, feel good music. And they played live really well. And Sly Stone is another interesting character where if we get to, if we do Sly and the Family Stone, we'll have a lot of interesting things probably to say about him as an individual and as a personality and an artist. But I, yeah, that's kind of what I've been listening to. And I've, I've kind of gone back to the well a little bit. I've been listening to Nirvana a little bit. I kind of go through phases where I listen to them like, like a fair bit and then I just don't touch, go back for a while. I got also into Boney M a bit because we heard Rasputin on the radio and my partner seemed to know the whole story of Rasputin and I had to hear all about it. And then I looked up the <laughs> song and then I'm like, why is there a kind of disco song about this Russian character? <laughs> How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. That's a great song. 
Speaking of songs that we used to listen to in high school and just don't anymore. 100%. So what do you have? I mean, there's just so much, especially since we talked about when we watched the documentary, we could probably go on easily for another hour, but we shouldn't. Nope. So do you have, what are your final thoughts on In Excess, your lifelong love of Michael Hutchins, watching the documentary, the album? What do you think now that we've spent a week and a half with these guys? Well, it was really interesting that... I wonder if I did get into the band when in 1997 they released Elegantly Wasted, which is a fucking banger of a song. (laughs) I think it's brilliant. I was shocked to see that it was released in the 90s because it felt right in line with the bangers off of Kick. I think In Excess is just one of those amazing bands that made it were globally successful and had a different cool sound and had an interesting story and Michael Hitchens god fucking lord was he beautiful what a beautiful man (laughs) and a soul but I find their music super fun to listen to and as I embarrassingly said even the music after Michael isn't terrible but I just think they're a very cool band that had a cool so iconic 80s sound very tears for fears like that you know when i hear the opening to several of those songs i'm in my warm 80s blanket of of easy easy simpler times yeah but i think that that documentary really made the whole experience deeper and really taught me a lot about the band and it's you know once again so sad to lose such a talent but if anyone has not experienced in excess in any of their any of their bangers they have quite a few great hits worth listening to and if you want to bring it all together with that documentary worth it difficult to find legitimately but not impossible to find you found it in three seconds it had taken me seven months yeah (laughs) (laughs) guess i'm just better at breaking the law than you (laughs) well that's debatable <laughs> I I think final thoughts. Like, it came, I came from a place where In Excess was a record that I recognized from my dad's collection. Then I thought they were called Inks too, no, and I knew nothing. <laughs> I knew their lead singer was dead. I think I knew that his name was Michael Hutchins. I think I knew that he killed himself. You know, and and I was turned out to be correct about that. I, I sort of had all these sort of like foggy information about them. Couldn't have named one of their songs. Turns out I know quite a few of their songs. And uh, I think in terms of like an 80s rock band, they're really solid. If you're looking for something from the 80s that's not... There's so much in the 80s that kind of still gets played out like ACDC and like some of the metal stuff. Like, you know, Master Puppets is from 1986 mm-hmm. and Judas Priest and all that stuff. It's all from the 80s. This is a really cool band. They were, they were enormous and they've largely, I think, probably been forgotten. Aside from a couple songs on classic rock radio and if you like rock music then you probably like this and if you don't but you want to look at a pretty man then watch the documentary and learn about it and maybe like so many artists that i've come to love over the years watching the documentary will open the door to you to want to check out their music i would also argue that they're quite poppy having that hook and kind of redoing that hook and having the repetitive lyrics I found sure. quite poppy as well. So I think it opens up to like, yes, the rock, but also to the, the pop of the time. 
they're sort of pop in the same way U2 was in the 80s. Sure, yeah. I think I'm looking at it more like a rock band. Like, they weren't like Tears for Fears, where they were like, we only need the two of us and a drum machine and a couple of synthesizers. Yeah. Fuck having a band. Yeah. These yeah, guys yeah. were a band to the point where they had a saxophone player. Fucking um, so, right. <laughs> so, I think that's sort of where I'm coming from on that point. Yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. What's going on so, next week, friend? Well,. I didn't know if if we should do another week of one more week of the 80s or do you want to move on to something else? I'm easy, man. All right. Well, I thought if we were going to continue doing something from the 80s, although there, as I just said, there's so much from the 80s that we could talk about and the stuff that I would wish Stephen was here for. And arguably the king of the 80s was Michael Jackson. And we've talked a little bit about our hesitation about doing talking about Michael Jackson on the podcast in an official capacity. I figured, why don't we do what I, who I consider to be the queen of the 80s, arguably, don't at me, a woman who goes by the name of Cindy Lauper. Oh my God, that's not who I thought you were going to say. <laughs> okay, queen of the 80s. Yeah, I will at you. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe we'd listen to her debut 1983 album, She's So Unusual. Awesome. Only 38 minutes. Who did you think I was going to say? Oh, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner. Whitney Houston was the when I thought of, if I call her the queen of the 80s, yeah. Whitney Houston was the person I had yelling in my other ear yeah, yeah, yeah. from beyond the grave going like, what the hell are you talking <laughs> Madonna. I was okay. like, oh, interesting. Oh, Sydney Lauper. Okay. <laughs> I don't think of Madonna as from the 80s, though. I actually, I was, I, I. I got into, I started listening to a little bit of Madonna and I sort of found like, like YouTube videos of like Madonna being queen bitch for like five minutes, like those sort of compilations that I've stumbled upon, probably because I watched some Aretha Franklin ones. Okay. I realized that, yeah, she's definitely an artist of the 80s, but I think she's sort of like Bowie where she's, her, she's managed to keep her career going so long. I don't really consider her an 80s artist anymore. I think she's just, she just is an artist that's kept going. Yes. Like I would say she definitely owned a lot of the eighties and kept going, but um yeah, Cindy Lauper was not on my radar. But that's okay. It is now. I think of her as the queen of the eighties because her her career largely stopped when she stopped being that goofy girl from the eighties. Madonna kept going. Whitney Houston kept going until she was passed. Whitney Houston was like basically out of the public eye and like tabloid and late night television comedy fodder for like the second half of her professional life. And she was still a massive star. If you want to watch a music documentary, that one. Yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen um, it I I have seen, twice now. I have seen some episodes of Being Bobby Brown, which oh, doesn't show her at her best. Oh no, no, yeah, oh no. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Anyway, we'll, maybe we'll talk, we'll do a special, very special Whitney Houston episode, but maybe before we totally move on from the 80s, since I think we both agree that <laughs> she deserves it. Um, and I've talked about Whitney Houston, I think, almost from the very first episode where I called her, like, the she was the empress and Beyonce's just keeping her thwar- throne warm. Yeah, agreed. But so that's, that's sort of why I think of, you know, that's my argument for Cyndi Lauper was the queen of the 80s is because all of her big hits are from the 80s. Okay. Okay. So, anyway. Good suggestion. So let's listen to that. She's so unusual. Let's listen to a lady from the 80s. Okay. Listen to a few dudes. Let's listen to a lady. Let's do it. All right. Well, until then, Angie, thank you so much for In Excess. This was a really fun journey. It was a heavy journey. I love that there was a documentary. Yay. Maybe there's one we can find for Cindy Lauper. I think it really sort of helps fuel uh, our conversations when we come to do this on the podcast. So thanks so much for for all of that. I appreciate it. It was, it was turned out a lot better. I was kind of apprehensive and it turned out a lot better than I thought it was going to. Agreed. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. 
So if you're still here listening at this point, thanks so much. And hopefully you'll join us next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth.